Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is Saturday, self-brain surgery Saturday. We are getting after it. It's 22 degrees out here on the river. 14 January 2023. Yesterday was our daughter Kaylin's 26th birthday, our youngest daughter. Shout out to Kaylin out there in San Antonio. Proud of you. And um, Listen, I got a bunch of jumbled up thoughts. I hate when I do that to you. You probably do too. But sometimes I have just this series of different thoughts that I'm not sure where they're all coming from. I think, I think while I was kind of doing my Bible study in quiet time this morning, I think I figured out how these all tie together. And we're just going to have a conversation this morning. I've been reading John Steinbeck. I've been listening to John Prine. I've been reading Old Testament prophets and I've been rereading Eugene Peterson. And somehow all of this stuff tumbled together with me finishing the edits. Finally, yesterday, finished the edits, the last edits before my new book, Hope is the First Dose, goes to print. Um, and somewhere jumbled up in all of that, um, comes Self Brain Surgery Saturday. So we got, we got a, a diverse little set of things we're going to talk about this morning, hopefully not for too long. But listen, I'm always telling you, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. We try to talk about the science of how your brain works. We try to talk about how faith and hope and doubt and and spirituality and all those things work. And we try to put all these things together in a way to help us become healthier, feel better, and be happier. I think it's important to find a way to be happy, even though we have hard things in our lives. And when I say happy, I've told you a million times, if you've been listening for a long time, happy doesn't mean slap a smile on and pretend like everything's okay. Happy means this this untouchability, this ability to roll with whatever life brings you and find a way forward, grab onto hope, keep fighting for the beachhead, moving forward into the fight, and, and not giving up, and living, telling a good story with how we live our lives. Because life's hard, but it's also beautiful, right? Those those things are all jumbled up together when I say I want you to be happy. Our little grandson, Riker, tries to tell Alexa, the, the Amazon Alexa, to sing happy birthday to him. I put a video up on YouTube channel, the Dr. Lee Warren YouTube channel, about that recently and talked about it in my newsletter where Riker um, found out that you can ask Alexa to sing happy birthday to you, and she will. You can say, Alexa, sing happy birthday, um, and she will. But he can't say that. Instead of Alexa, he says Exa. And instead of happy birthday, he says Happer. So he'll say Exa, Happer. And nothing happens. And so he gets frustrated because he's trying to get her to sing happy birthday, but he only knows how to say Happer. So sometimes in life, we want something that we think will make us happy and it doesn't and we get frustrated and we, we keep saying happer 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 and nothing happens and so we got to do some self-brain surgery today to figure out why we can't get happer when we want to <laughs> anyway that's where my crazy brain is today we're going to try to pull all these things out together we got a little music we got some scripture we got some john steinbeck we got some other stuff to talk about but the most important thing is you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is Lisa always tells us we can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is... You can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. 
I'm a neurosurgeon and author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done. If you like the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right. So I told you I've been reading John Steinbeck. I'm always kind of toying with the idea of adding uh, fiction to my repertoire of things that I write. And I read so much nonfiction, and I write nonfiction all the time. That sometimes the, the Randy Alcorn has taught me that sometimes the best way to tell a story is to tell it with fiction. And so once in a while, I'll go read a great novel or something from the past and just try to get my head around whether or not I can actually tell a story that's not memoir, that's not about me, um, but but make something happen so that you can see a bigger truth with what I'm trying to convey. And so John Steinbeck wrote a novel called Sweet Thursday. It was kind of a parody, almost a comedic uh, back end to his really important book, Cannery Row. Um, and of course, if you read Cannery Row, you probably did in school if you're my age or older. Some of those books were required reading in school. And Cannery Row was really about uh, the waste of the processing industry, food processing industry, and how people had pillaged the ocean and, you know, really had made a mess of things and were running out of resources and all of that. Well, Sweet Thursday is, is sort of a back in the Cannery Row area um, in California, and it's post-World War II, and everything's changed. Everybody's different. So a lot of people are missing. A lot of people died in the war. A lot of people have moved away, and everybody that's still there is different. Everything has changed, and there's a scene in Sweet Thursday where two characters, Doc and Mac, are having a conversation. They're drinking bourbon, which which uh, Steinbeck calls old tennis shoes, <laughs> a brand name that he made up, obviously, because that's sort of what bourbon tastes like, apparently, old tennis shoes. Um, anyway, they're having this conversation, Doc and Mac, and they're remembering this guy, this, this uh, Asian-American guy who used to run a store there that they all got their supplies from, and his name was Lee Chong. And they were remembering all the things about Lee Chong that they loved and hated, and they were having a conversation about him. But he wasn't there anymore, so they were remembering something and someone that had happened in the past, and they were having a conversation. Here's what Steinbeck wrote. Over Doc and Mac, a golden melancholy settled like autumn leaves. Melancholy concocted equally of old tennis shoes, the bourbon, and old times of friends lost and friends changed. And both of them knew they were avoiding one subject, telling minor stories to avoid a major one. But at last they were dry, and their subject confronted them. They volleyed Lee Chong back and forth, and their memories built virtues that would have surprised him, and cleverness and beauty too. Out of their memories there emerged a being, scarcely human, a dragon of goodness and an angel of guile. In such a way are the gods created." This this idea that they were batting this guy back and forth and creating a person out of him, out of his memory, that wasn't reminiscent of the real person at all, right? And then I thought, wow, we really do that. We're about to have the 10th birthday of our son Mitch, February 9th. Um, since we lost him, he's going to – he would be 29 this year. He died at 19. And I just realized um, – most of the people in my world, including you, most likely, don't actually know or have any real memory of what Mitchell Warren, the, the real person, was or was like. 
You've got a notion of my, my best friends here, Alan, Kristen, Damon, the, the people that, that know me in, in my real life and Lisa, they, they've never met him. That they don't know anything about Mitch except what I've constructed for them, what, what we've talked about, the pictures and memories that we've concocted of him, right? And my mother-in-law, Patty, sweetest woman that ever drew a breath, she passed away in 2018. All of our friends in this world, most of them, have never met her. So again, you know, when Dennis talks about his wife, it's a construct to those people. It's it's a it's a, a construct created uh, that might surprise her. Some of the things that I talk about with Mitch might surprise him. He might be like, Dad, you got that wrong. It's, it's not quite, I'm not quite the person that you remember me to be. And that scares me sometimes. But so this conversation with Seinbeck, with these two characters, is about the fact that our memories sometimes don't necessarily tell the truth about what's back there. Now, I just told you, I've just finished up the edits on my book, Hope is the First Dose, and I've written that chapter that I've talked about here before about how there's no old beaches, right? We went back to Kiowa Island a couple of years ago because that was the last place we'd had a vacation where Nanny, Patty, Lisa's mom, Dennis's wife, Tata's wife, and Mitch and all the kids except for Katie were with us, and we had a good time there. And so I had this this notion that somehow I could go back to Kiowa and, and find something in that salty air on that beach that, that would help me heal a little bit over losing Mitch. And, and Dennis decided not to go. Because in his mind, that was a place where he had a really solid, good memory, a happy time. And he didn't want to mess it up by going back there. And while I was there, we had this epiphany. We had our little grandson, Jace, running up the beach, and we saw his little footprints. And then the tide came and washed him away. And, and we realized that there's no old beaches. Like the, the tide turns the beach over twice a day, every day. And Mitch's footprints aren't there anymore. I can't follow a path down that beach back to this time where everything was right and good. And I can't find any way to heal that memory from the past by walking down an old beach because it's not there. And Dennis, simultaneously, Dennis couldn't go back there and, and, and find some happy time that he could mess up because it's not there. The, the memory's in his mind. It's not on that beach, right? So we realize there's, there's no old beaches. We, the, the Steinbeck's characters are right. They're batting this guy back and forth and, and drinking and, and cajoling their memories, but they're creating a person who wasn't the person that they're creating. And so... That reminded me of a John Prine song called Paradise. And then the song Paradise, he says, when I was a child, I, I, we'd go back down to Kentucky where this town Paradise was, where my parents came from. And those memories are in his mind. And he says, I, I remember them so often that my memories are worn. Like he, he pulls them out and, and plays with them and, and feels them. And here's the song Paradise by John Prine. <laughs> When I was a child, my family would travel Down to western Kentucky, where my parents were born And there's a backwards old town that's often remembered So many times that my memories are worn And Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River, where paradise lay well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. 
Mr. Peabody's coal train is hauled it away. Well, sometimes we travel right down the Green River to the abandoned old prison down by Avery Hill. Where the air smell like snakes We'd shoot with our pistols But empty pop bottles Was all we would kill And daddy won't you take me Back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River Where paradise lay Well I'm sorry my son But you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's cold train Is hauled in the way the world's largest shovel and they tortured the timber and stripped all the land well they dug for their coal till the land was forsaken then they rode it all down as the progress of man and daddy won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County down by the green river where paradise lay well I'm sorry my son But you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's cold train is hauled it away When I dial it in my ashes float down the green river Let my soul roll on up to the Rochester Dam I'll be halfway to heaven with paradise wings Just five miles away from wherever I am And daddy won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County Down by the Green River where paradise lays Well I'm sorry my son but you're too late in asking Mr. Peabody's cold train has hauled it away you see that? So, so John Prine says we we had these. We were shooting snakes with our pistols, but all we killed was old pop bottles. So his memories aren't what was real, right? So he can't go back, and he can't fix anything back there. He can't he can't go back to paradise because Mister Peabody's coal company hauled it away. The, the train has taken that place, and that time isn't there anymore. There's no old beaches, and so I was thinking about that in the context of. Well, a few weeks ago, or a month or two ago now, Clarissa Mall Mall was on the podcast to talk about her book, uh, Beyond the Darkness, when she lost her husband, Rob, in a hiking accident. And she was talking about how important it is when people, you know, say, I'm sorry you lost your husband, how important it is that there are some people who know his name, who say his name. I'm sorry you're missing Rob. I know that Rob was important to you because she's afraid that his memory and his name will die off with everybody but her. And I resonate with that because same reason John Prine does, right? That and same reason Steinbeck and his characters are talking about Lee Chong and the reason I worry and think sometimes about Mitch because nobody really knows what your past and your memories are like except you. And the longer you go back there and keep trying to force your memories to to do something for you, the less realistic they're getting. 
right over time. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled them away. There's this whole chapter, the, the book of Joel in the Old Testament is three chapters, and it's about this terrible locust invasion that came and destroyed the land, and, and like completely destroyed the land. They were in famine and peril, and, and everything was lost, and they were mourning, the people were mourning because this horrible, invasive locust storm had come. And the, the language in Joel chapter two is just, it's just horrifying. It, it's, it, the, this, he describes this invasion of locusts and he says, sound the trumpet in Jerusalem, raise the alarm on the holy mountain, let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. It was, it was God's judgment on the people that that's why he sent the locusts and it was terrifying. In a day of darkness, it is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a great and mighty army appears. Nothing like it has been seen before or will ever be seen again. And he goes on and on and on talking about how the the locusts are just destroying. They're like an army of horses and the Lord is ahead of them. Fear grips all the people in verse 6. Every face grows pale with terror. These, These locusts are terrifying. They're destroying everything and then he says and starting in verse 12 what god wants us to do when the locusts are destroying our lives then you know we it's happening because the people have made a mess of their lives and they've they've sinned and they've they've messed up and they've left him and they haven't followed his ways and they and they're and they're pursuing their own uh, their own dreams and their own goals and they're not letting the lord help them and they're not calling on him when they need him and so he's 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 punishing them with the the army of locusts, and he says this. This is what the Lord says. Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And this is the verse, verse 13. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. God says, don't tear your clothes. Tear your hearts. Change your mind. Don't, don't, don't beat yourself up and don't punish yourself and don't flail yourself and don't keep flogging yourself over and over and over about the things in the past that you can't change. I'll help you. I want you to change your heart. I want you to change your mind so you can change your life. He says that in verse 13. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. And then something beautiful comes down towards the end of the chapter. Verse 25, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts. I will restore the years that the locusts have devoured. I will restore the wasted years, he says. There's, you should go to Joel 2.25 and put it in multiple translations, Bible app or Bible Gateway or any of those softwares that you can find. You can, you can read the Bible in multiple translations and get multiple different takes on the same words. And he says, basically, I'm going to restore the wasted years. I'm going to, I'm going to restore the crops. I'm going, to re, I'm going to pile back on you the good things that you've lost. If you'll just turn to me, if you'll change your heart, I'll help you. If you change your mind. I'll change your life. That's what he's saying. You don't have to be devoured here to tear your heart, not your clothes. Because our tendency, right? Our tendency when we're hurting is to tear our clothes. It's to open the bottle. It's to eat too much. It's to spend too much. It's to go try to find comfort in, in physical relationships or something other than turning to God and letting him heal us 
right? We keep wanting to go back. And he says, I want you to go forward, okay? Now, I've been reading this book um, that I told you about before, The Joshua Code, O.S. Hawkins, Joshua Code. Lisa and I are going to do it for this year as, as part of our weekly Bible study. And it's a whole month-long I'm sorry, a whole year-long study of, with the idea of memorizing Scripture. And so each week in the book, it's just a little verse, one verse, one little passage that you can chew on for the whole week. And that idea that I told you about with um, Lectio Divina from Eugene Peterson, where the idea is that you take one Scripture and you just chew on it, meditate on it, talk about it, think about it, write about it, have a Bible study about it, talk to your friends about it, tell your kids about it. And you spend a whole week memorizing one verse and this week's verse is john three sixteen. for god so loved the world it's probably the most famous bible verse everybody knows this bible verse even non-believers god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life john three sixteen. so and there's a great chapter in the book about this verse but but here's the the big punchline that i want to get to you o.s hawkins talks about it beautifully how God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. And he makes this point about what Jesus did for us is the difference between all the world's religions. And even in a lot of branches of Christianity, there's this idea that salvation is spelled D-O. Salvation is spelled D-O, do. Here's what you have to do to be saved. And I, I, I resonate with this. I grew up in a, in a church like this where you have to do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that and you have to make sure you repent if you did that and you make sure you have the right words and you say the right things and you feel the right things and you do the right things and you never stop doing them all the way up to the last breath that you draw and then right before you die make sure you repent of everything you forgot to repent of and then maybe you'll get to go to heaven right and it wasn't overtly said like that but that's how it is in some of those legalistic cultures, and it's certainly that way in a lot of religions in the world. It's you flog yourself and beat yourself and humble yourself and keep doing all these things over and over and over, and maybe that'll be enough for God to save you. It's D.O. What have you, what do you do? Have you done enough, right? But, but Hawkins makes the point in the book, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus spells salvation D-O-N-E. He did it. He, God, gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The work of salvation is done. Not your good works. Not your ability to go back in the past and fix everything you messed up. Not your ability to go back in the past and reset your course because you found that happy place and you figured out where you had stepped off the path and you could go back to it and, and fix it or avoid going back there because you don't want to mess up some version of yourself. You want to get back to that place, that happy place that you have. But instead, that that work is done. If you want to be okay, if you want God to restore you have to stop thinking that there's something that you can do, tear your clothes, tear open a bag of Cheetos, tear open a, a bottle of something that can numb you numb you from that old beach that you're trying not to walk down. Stop trying to D-O-N-E stuff, get stuff done, and start trying to let him do it because he already did it. Does that make sense? Salvation is not spelled D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. Our part is to believe, and here's the self-brain surgery Saturday part. O.S. Hawkins said it this way. Our part 
is to transfer our trust from ourselves and our own efforts to his finished work on the cross of Calvary. So today's self-brain surgery operation is the trust transplant. We have to stop thinking that there's some place in the past we can get to, something that happened before that set us off course, or some place that we need to try to recreate, or something in our heart that we need to rebuild, or something in the future that we need to be responsible for for doing ourselves. We need to stop thinking that somehow the secret to happiness and success and salvation and, and, and all of these things lies within us, because it doesn't. You, my friend, are not enough to save yourself, and you're not enough to solve all your own problems, and you're not enough. You're not strong enough to handle. The the, the, the teaching that God won't allow anything in your life that, that you can't handle is not true. It's a misapplication of 1 Corinthians 10.13. That scripture is about temptation, that he'll always give you a way out of temptation. That's That's what that scripture says. It doesn't say that God won't put anything in your life that you can't handle, because, friend, he will. There will be things in your life. There will be an invasive army of locusts that seems to tear everything up and you can't find your way out of it. And he says, I will fix this if you'll tear your heart and not your clothes anymore. Stop trying to do it yourself because I already have done it, my friend. That's what the point is. That's the self-brain surgery operation today. That's what John Prine's memories are worn, but they're not accurate, right? My old beach wasn't there because there's no old beaches that the the idea that we can find some way in the past to finally go back and, and get it all right and move forward or we can undo some things that we've done or that we can avoid something in the past that we want to protect none of those things are true none of those past memories are accurate we have to look forward remember we talked about in november isaiah 43 See, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? He says, forget the former things. Forget the former things. I'm doing something new. I'm making a way where there has been no way. I'm I'm making streams in the desert. I'm opening up a door for you. I want this to be, Jesus said in Luke, the year of the Lord's favor for you. And I told you we're doing a 21-day fast with our church and our former church in Alabama. And you know, it hasn't been perfect. I haven't perfected it yet. 21-day fast is hard to do, and you're going to stumble probably, and you're going to mess things up. But God doesn't say, I expect it to be perfect. He says, I want you to keep trying. We talked about getting back up. A man might fall seven times, but a good man will get up eight times, right? That's what that, that's what we talked about a couple of days ago on the podcast. So the idea, friend, is this. If you tried to start and get this year off to a good start, and you're finding yourself kind of sucked back into the old beaches, Kind of, kind of working your way back towards something in the past that's that's holding you back, and you're trying to figure out how to shrug that off and, and get started and really make this year new and different. The idea is to stop looking back and start looking forward. And the way to get that done is to stop beating yourself up, tearing your clothes. And, and, you know, punishing yourself over and over. I keep doing this over and over. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how the Israelites kept going back to Egypt for chariots and horses. We're going to do a little Bible study about that. And we're going to find out that they're not the only ones who do that. The idea and the secret to moving forward in this year, it's the 14th of January, and it's time to get after it. And the way to do it is to undergo this self-brain surgery operation called the trust transfer. 
It's time to transplant, trust transplant, we'll call it. It's time to transplant our trust from ourselves to him. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16.30 asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? And we're asking that question, right? You're saying, God, I keep doing this same thing over and over. I keep struggling with the same problems year after year in my life. I keep failing in the same ways. I keep having the same problem with my marriage. I keep having the same issue. I keep struggling. What must I do? And Paul's answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Okay? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John 3.16 said, Whoever believes in him, and Acts 16.30 in some translations says you must believe on him. And I looked up the Greek words here, and they're not the same. One of the things I love about Scripture, and while we talk about this Lectio Divina, the eat this book idea, while we talk about eating and and, and sucking the marrow out of, of the Word over and over across the span of your life, the, one of the reasons I love Scripture so much is because the more you study it, the more it does for you, the more it changes you, the more it reveals itself to you. There was a... Uh, verse or a uh, sentence in a video that we're doing this other one year Bible study one story that leads to Jesus from the Bible project and yesterday in the in the little video that they have on day 13 he said as you let the Bible interpret itself something remarkable happens the Bible starts to read you and that's why I love this book it starts to read us over time it starts to change us. It starts to show itself to us in a different way. And what I'm what I'm going to share with you right now is these two words that that are translated differently in the New Testament. When John says, "God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life," and Paul says in Acts sixteen thirty a different word that's sometimes translated instead of believe in Him, he says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're different words and they have different connotations. And here's the here's the difference. You can believe in something. You can believe in John Wayne that he was an actor that lived and died. And you can believe that, and it's true, but he can't save you. He can't – that that intellectual agreement with something that's true isn't enough to impact your life in a, in a, in a saving way, in a positive way, right? And you can intellectually believe that Jesus Christ was a – person who lived and he was a good guy and he was a prophet and he told stories and he has value for our lives today and all of that. And this progressive Christianity idea is actually that, that that Jesus isn't God. He's just a guy who we can study and learn from and emulate and, and follow after. And that's kind of believing in him, but it's not enough. Okay. So the idea of onto, and, and when Paul said that in Acts 16.30, the Greek word is the word epi that, that we use in, in terms like epidermis or epidural, the, the word that means above or onto, on top of something, okay? So that word is different than in, and what it means is that we actually can build our life on him. We can put our trust on him. We can put our belief on on him. We can put our effort on him and he'll do something in return. He'll save us. Okay. So, so the idea is it's subtle and they're both right, but you need to have this understanding that it's more than just intellectual acknowledgement. You are ready to transfer the trust of who calls the shots and who is in charge and who is Lord of your life onto him. 
And he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you're tired of being so tired, the secret is to trust in him. And tomorrow we're going to talk about don't go back down to Egypt for chariots and horses. Eugene Peterson's book, Run With the Horses, has inspired me to talk again about this idea because it's so important. And my Bible study tomorrow morning is going to be about that, and we're going to talk about it. But but today, I just wanted to tell you that there's a lot of pain and loss each of us have in the past. And we, and we build those people that we've lost up into people that they might not have been, good or bad. We blame them for everything. Maybe it's maybe you had a strained relationship with your mom or your dad or your brother or somebody, and you're now struggling with something in your life, and you're in your brain, you're building it up to where all of your issues in your life came from that person, and it's their fault, and you're you're batting that back and forth, and you're creating a a straw man that somebody else in the past is responsible for what's happening to you right now, and I'm just here to tell you, friend. If, if you're not actively being abused by somebody today, then you need to find a way to heal from the abuse that you suffered because the problems that you have going forward are not all that person's fault. Now you've got your own decisions to make. Now, that sounds harsh. I'm not saying that there's not trauma that has to be healed. There is. There, there's things that have happened in the past that definitely need to be healed from. But God says, don't tear your clothes. Tear your heart. Let me heal you. I'll restore everything you think you've lost. But to get there, you have to stop trusting in the problem that you had and and that that's the cause of your future issues more than you trust in his ability to heal them. You have to stop trusting in the past more than you trust in the promise. Okay? You have to stop believing that there's something in the past that's dictating your future or that there's something in the past that can help you more than what you have now because it's not true. Forget the former things, he says, and look forward. And if you think that somebody in your past that you've lost was the key to your future happiness, that, that you can't be happy now because you lost your husband to glioblastoma, that you, you can't find a way forward because you this thing happened and your dad died. I, we got two emails this week, one from a woman whose son had committed suicide, one from a man whose dad committed suicide when he was a little boy. And both of them talked about the, the thing that turned their lives around was somebody else who pointed them to Christ and showed them the sufficiency of him, even in the absence of the person that they lost. Clarissa Mall talked about how God has a plan for her and her four children that's different now because they've lost their, their, their dad, her husband, Rob. So obviously their future isn't going to be heavily influenced by his ongoing presence in their lives. So they've got... They've got a new life and a new plan that has to not involve him because he's not there anymore. So if you want to go forward in your life, you can't take the past with you except in the ways that it's instructed you. It can be a, it can be a, a teacher, but it can't be a compass anymore. God's got to be that for you, friend. So it's time to stop thinking that we can D.O. it, we can do it, We can do something ourselves and get there. We can't because the work of salvation is done. And now it's time to let him lay out a path for us because he's got a plan, a promise, a purpose, a path for you that's better than anything you can get to on your own. And if you let him direct your steps, he says, I am ready to stop this horde of locusts from chewing up any more of your life. I'm ready to help you get over this dependence to alcohol or drugs or television or sex or or pornography or whatever. I'm ready to help you get through that. It's time, but you've got to change your mind. 
you got to change your heart, he says. Stop tearing your clothes about it because that's what happens. You mess up your fast. You mess up your, this time I promised I was going to stop gambling. I promised I was going to stop doing this. I promised I was going to stop doing that. And I can't even keep a promise to myself. And if you're sick of that, then the, the way forward, friend, is to stop just tearing your clothes over it and then finding yourself back in the situation tonight. The way forward is to tear your heart, to change your heart, to change your mind so you can change your life. He promises to restore those wasted years. I'm going to play you a song now from a band that we used to listen to, a worship band called Watermark. They're not together anymore. It's a husband and wife, and they're both still working, but they don't record and tour together. They've raised a family and all those things. But there's a song from Watermark several years ago. It's one of the first worship songs Lisa and I ever sang together when we did worship music way back in the day, and it's called Mended. And the lyrics say, you repair all that we have torn apart and you unveil a new beginning in our hearts. And we stand grateful for all that's been left behind and all that goes before us. You've got all things suspended, all things connected. Nothing was forgotten because your love is perfect and you're our healer and you know what's broken and we're not a mystery to you. We'll dance because you restore the wasted years and you'll sing all over all our coming fears. And we'll stand grateful for all that has been left behind and all that goes before us. Do you see that? So God says, I want to stop this horde of locusts from doing any further damage in your life. I want to help you put this bottle down. I want to help you change your brain. I want to help you get healthier. I want to help you repair and restore relationships. I want to help you find the fact that I have done this work for you so that you can move forward into the plan that I have for you the purpose I have for you, the passions and the promises and the and the and the the applause of heaven and the great cloud of witnesses when you finally let go of those things that are holding you back, friend. It's fourteen days into January and it's the year of the Lord's favor and he's saying, Tear your heart and stop tearing your clothes and I will restore those wasted years. I'll give you back. I'll help you. I'll restore you and repair you and set you on a path that you can then use to help other people find some hope. That's what it's about, friend. I know this has been a little bit of a rambling series of things, but this is what I wanted to get to. And it took it took John Prine and John Steinbeck and it took Eugene Peterson and it took Clarissa Mall and all these other things to get there. But we got there. And here's the punchline. Quit beating yourself up and thinking there's something that you need to do Because the work's already done. It's time to transplant the trust from you on to him. And he'll help you change your mind. And he'll help you change your life. And the good news is, he'll help you start today.
Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.